0: Welcome in to another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas-Hill, and it's finally game week. We made it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were moments over the last, what, nine, ten months where I didn't really feel that we were going to get here, and I think some of those moments were, what, like two months ago? (laughs) And yet we actually get here, and... Dan, you're going to the game. I'm not going to the game. 1,600 people will be allowed in the stands. Potentially none of our listeners because they're not going to allow any actual fans. But there is football.
0: Yeah, I mean, it. it it's, it's going to be very weird on Saturday. And, you know, I, I do feel fortunate that I am going to have the opportunity to be there. And, you know, I, I honestly, I feel a little bit of, like, pressure, honestly to like make sure I do my job well, because I know that there's so many people who want to be in that stadium that are not going to be. So I think it, it it does make me feel a sense of, you know, responsibility to, you know, make sure that, you know, I take advantage of the opportunity to be there and that I try to document the scene as well as possible. And to try to make sure that I actually focus on everything that's happening while I'm there and and not just the football game itself because you know to be one of those few people that's actually going to be there and and it is it's it's going to be weird it's going to be very different it's going to be unlike any uh, environment in Ohio Stadium we've ever seen you know and I, I think it's it's probably going to be weirder you know and if you're somebody who's used to going to every single game it's going to be weird watching from home but if you're somebody who usually watches on TV, I have to think it's going to be weirder for those of us who are actually in the stadium than it's going to be for those of you watching from home, because I think watching from home, it's probably generally going to look like mostly the same product. Uh, But I think from inside the stadium with just so many fewer fans and artificial crowd noise, and it's it's just going to be very different. Do
1: you think that any of this actually affects the game or is it just that you know, we've gotten so used to the pageantry of Ohio State game days and what that means. And there's so, so, so much that goes into it. It's honestly, it's not even worth just trying to hit on everything, but almost all of that's removed. And and what you really have is just two teams playing football. And do, do you think that that, you know, we, we've obviously, we've had a chance to see how college football and other sports operate um, in a way where there's either a, a, a small amount of fans or no fans at all. Do you think that that, affects Saturday's game in particular.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those things that we probably think about more before the game than we do once the game actually starts. Because I think once the game actually starts, and I think this is probably true not just for us, but probably for the players as well, that I think once the game actually starts, you become so focused on just going out there and trying to win the game, going out there and trying to perform, that you're not going to be thinking about the fans but I, I mean, I think when you, you know, I think when you first go into the state, I mean, I, I think it's going to be extremely weird. Like, I don't even know exactly how they're going to do it. Like if they're going to still do the run out of a tunnel that they usually do, like the national anthem, how that's going to work. But I feel like that's going to be extremely weird. Like not having a marching band out there for that, like having no fans there for any of that. Like, I feel like that's going to be extremely weird. I like post game is going to be weird. Like if they're singing Carmen on the field and there's no fans there, like that's going to be weird. But I think when the game itself is actually happening, you know, I, I I think at that point, if you're if you're a player or a coach, you've just got to focus on playing the game itself. And I think you already, you know, if you're if you're if you're a player or a coach, you kind of have to block out everything in your surrounding environment when you're playing anyway. So I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's really gonna affect the game much in any way. I I, I just think it's going to affect the environment obviously in an enormous way
1: yeah and like I don't think it's something that we're going to talk a lot about after probably today's podcast like I, I think you're probably going to write about it after the game and, and we're probably going to mention it you know next week on, on our on our show but at the same time like this is like we we spend the entire offseason dissecting football <laughs> not dissecting what the atmosphere is going to be like but it's worth mentioning because like there are many things that make Ohio state football special. And and only one of them is, you know, what they are on the field and and the dominance that they've had um, playing football for, for many, many decades. But like the pageantry of an Ohio state football game is just different. Um, And and to not have that, I think is going to be, I mean, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be unique. And and hopefully it won't carry on to, to next fall, but I think it's worth, diving into Nebraska for the first time because, like, I'll be honest, like, what, we've talked for 10 months with no football going on, and I don't really know that we've spent more than, like, five sentences talking about the Cornhuskers beyond the fact that they were both the two teams who were at the forefront publicly fighting for a a season this fall.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of by design because I think we do both think that this game – Probably isn't going to be all that competitive. I, I will say I've, I think it's it's better than Bowling Green. I think it's it's better than Rutgers. <laughs> yeah. you know, I think it's better oh, than oh, Illinois, oh, which was the opener for five days. I, you know, I, I think I think I think we're going to absolutely learn about the Ohio State football team on Saturday because I think Nebraska at least has enough talent that if Ohio State has any glaring issues they could get exposed on Saturday. And I I also think that if Ohio state looks really, really good, I I think that's going to mean something like it's, it's not going to be just, Oh, you beat up on Bowling green. I mean, if you, if they go out there and dominate Nebraska, like I think that's going to be a a very good sign, but I also, you know, I also think it's possible that, you know, they don't not, they don't nominate Nebraska or they do, but we also see some flaws that we then might be talking about next week as something that if Penn State exposes it again, maybe Ohio State doesn't win.
1: Yeah, it's, it. you know, it's a fascinating game. Um, and, and I was, you know, I was talking to you a little bit, you know, off the air before this started. And like my one reaction to this game is less so about like how competitive this game is going to be, how much Ohio State's going to win by, can Nebraska give them a chance? It's probably less so that. And more so, like, what can we learn about the Buckeyes? What can we learn about this team? Because, like, we, we've spent so long dissecting what this team is actually going to look like. And to finally get, you know, a chance to see them on the field, I think we're going to learn a ton on both sides of the ball. And, and, and we can probably, you know, dissect at least a little bit on, on what to expect. But is there one side of the ball in particular that you're more, you know, excited to see, you know, play out on, on Saturday?
0: I do have a defense because I I think the defense is where the the questions are. Like, I think we both expect Ohio state's offense to look good. And yeah, I think, you know, if, if it looks as good as we think it's going to look, that'll be exciting to watch. But to me, the defense is is where the real questions are to me. The defense is where, you know, I think ahead to, you know, week two against Penn state, like to me, it's the the defense, how well they come out of a gates, it, it could determine whether they can beat Penn state. In, in next week could determine where they can make this run to the college ball playoff. So, so that's the side of a ball that I'm going to really be most interested to see how they do, because I do think uh, they, they've got a lot to work through there, new defensive coordinator, replacing most of the defensive line in the secondary. So, you know, I, I think those are going to be uh, the biggest things to watch for.
1: I'll make the case for the offense a little bit, but I, but I think it's worth sticking with, you know, what we're going to see, from Ohio State's defense against Nebraska's offense. Because like you said, like there's a ton, I think more so, I think the main thing that's different between the offense and defense at Ohio State is just the known commodities. Like we know a lot about these offensive players. We've seen them play. We've seen them dominate. Like we've seen a lot of these defensive players dominate in high school film or like we've seen them shine in moments late in games. But a ton of these guys – you know, we just haven't – we haven't seen them either play in, in, in specific roles that, that, you know, they're going to, um, or, uh, you know, they're going to be first-year players, uh, not not necessarily first-year players, but first-year starters. And I think that that's going to be, you know, something that's completely, completely new for at least the secondary, the defensive line. And I think the number one guys who, on that side of the ball, I'm looking for are the cornerbacks, Seven Banks, Cam Brown, and Marcus Williamson. And then the safeties, Josh Proctor and and uh, and Marcus Hooker, because I I just like I think one I'm interested to see how they play and, and two I'm interested to see how they line up and and I think that Nebraska while like Nebraska is not Clemson you're gonna learn something like Nebraska is a legitimate Big Ten team with some interesting players I mean Wandale Robinson they're gonna move him around I'm interested to see like what does Marcus Williamson do on him uh, is do, do they get matched up at all and and are they is is Marty's Williamson able to stay in front of him? Like these are these are early good tests that that I feel confident Ohio State's going to win the game, but we'll sort of get a we'll, we'll get at least a hint of what Ohio State this Ohio State defense can can do looking forward.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about the most intriguing matchups going into this game, but you just stole mm-hmm. mine because that that's number <laughs> that's number one for me is that that slot matchup because you know Rondell Robinson's kind of guy. I mean, you, I mean you just think back to Rondell Moore two years ago, like you think about like. That's the kind of guy, that dynamic slot receiver that you know they they could give Ohio State a lot of problems if if they're not uh, where they need to be at that slot corner mm-hmm. position. And you look at we we think Marcus Williamson is going to be that guy, and so you know if he is, this is going to be a big a really a really big first test for him. I really do think that, and so that's number one for me. In, in terms of, you know, an intriguing matchup to watch in this game. I know you wrote about that on Tuesday. What are some of the other matchups that you're interested to see in this game? Well, I think
1: one, you
0: know,
1: I'm interested to see I – think, I, think, um, I think Pete Warner is a fascinating player to me because I feel like I spent a lot of the offseason talking about how impressed I was with him last season, his spot and his versatility, his ability to cover tight ends, and his ability to drop like a safety – um, and, and also be physical at the point of attack. And I think he's going to need to be physical um, on Saturday and, and going forward because um, I feel like we're going to say this a lot, but it's not like Nebraska has, has an amazing rushing game. But I think that they're at least dynamic enough to, to test you and see what kind of playmaker and how physical you are up front. And, and, and Pete Warner, with his move inside to, to weak side linebacker, like he's a guy who I pinpoint in that like, he's a little bit of a known commodity, but like with a lot of this, a lot of these guys on defense, like he is in a new role, and and I think that you know we're going to learn a little bit about what what, what Al Washington and Greg Madison want to do with him defensively, um, and also you know how he performs at this spot.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's going to be really fascinating to see you know, that that will linebacker move for him, and I mean just the whole linebacker core in general, you know, whoever it's baron browning justin hilliard combination of those guys at that sam linebacker spot i'm expecting probably baron browning will start there and i think hilliard will mix in a little bit as well but it's going to be interesting to see you know how those guys play that role versus what we saw from pete last year and then you know do we see this bullet role with josh proctor and there's just so many different interesting things at that defense and you know I, i mean i've talked about it a lot like I think definitely one of the biggest things I'm intrigued to see in this game is just what the defensive scheme looks like. If there's some new wrinkles there that they've been keeping under wraps that we're finally going to see on Saturday. And so I imagine, you know, if we do see some new wrinkles, I imagine we'll be talking about that on next week's show, but just that whole defense in general, I'm I'm really interested to see what it looks like on Saturday. Yeah. And, and to
1: me, it's specifically the back seven, like, a, like, uh, a... You know, I feel like we can learn a little bit about about the the defensive front, but I think, you know, more so than this week, I think next week against Penn State, we're going to really see what this defensive line has. Um, and and I think this week for me, it's learning a lot about these back these back seven guys, and, and going beyond that, like you said, it's learning about what Kerry Com- what what carry Combs is is going to provide uh, provide the offense, and or what the offense. That would be fascinating if they, if they hired him as an offensive coordinator, uh, provide the defense, and combined with Greg Madison, you know, how they, can, how they can coach in game. But I'll make the case for the offense for a second, Dan, uh, because I am fascinated with if this offense can, at least out of the gates, come out in a way that it makes us – it makes our eyes pop. It makes us feel like what we've been saying for the past 10 months is coming true. And that is Justin Fields looking like one of the best two quarterbacks in the country, a wide receiver core that I just feel like by the week I get more confident in, um, an offensive line that could be the best in the country, and, and and a running back situation that I think is probably has the most question marks with Trey Sermon and Master T at the forefront of that. Like I, I want to see if this if this offense can be the kind of offense that even with the uh, you know. A defense that has plenty of guys in new roles who who might need you know some time to at least adjust to to what they're asked to do. Can this offense be the kind that leads Ohio State to a national championship, even if you know the defense maybe is is a step behind at least to begin? Like that. That is what
0: I am and maybe most excited to see out of the gate. I think for me, it's the reason I say the defense is because I think no matter how good Ohio State looks on offense on Saturday, one game isn't going to prove anything. But yeah, if the defense looks bad, that that could prove something. You know, that could prove something if, if the defense looks bad. So I think it's, you know, it, it's more a fact. Because the thing is, we know Ohio State is better than just about every team that it's going to play. It, so it, it's hard because – you we go into this game immediately expecting Ohio State to look great and if if it doesn't look great in any area that's going to end up being what people focus on more than anything else but that's the reality of the situation when you are a team that's trying to go win a national championship so you know you know that's the thing it's it's greatness is going to be expected and you know, I've thought, I've thought about this a lot this offseason because we've talked so much about, you know, just wanting football back and the excitement for football back. And you know, like, Nebraska scores a touchdown in the first five minutes. Immediately, like, the the entire tone of this whole thing is going to change. And we're going to be back to, you know, talking about how bad certain things are. And, and Ohio State fans are going to have angst again.
1: That would prove that all is right in the world yeah. after to, to get us back to that yeah. point. Um, but, you know, you you mentioned you know what what happens if Nebraska were to to score a touchdown early. Like, I don't think either of us are going to pick Ohio State to lose this game. But what could make this thing dicey? What what could make this thing where we go into the second half or maybe even the fourth quarter and like it's a tie game or or, or you know it's it, Nebraska's within one touchdown. Like, what what do you think could make that happen?
0: Well, I think definitely first of all would be issues on defense because i think i mean we saw two years ago i mean i think if you know if the secondary struggles if they're not all on the same page where they need to be on defense i think that could certainly lead to some problems lead to nebraska being able to keep this game competitive i'd be really surprised if nebraska is able to consistently stop ohio state's offense but I mean, turnovers are a great equalizer. There's a reason why the last three or four times Ryan Day has spoken, he has consistently harped on turnovers, playing clean football, because those are the, the things that can keep a team in the game. So it's you know, sloppy mistakes, things like that, you know, those those can always keep a team in the game. But you know, I, I think you know, I think if Ohio State offense executes that's going to give them a really good chance but you know i do think if you have defensive issues and you know maybe you know you have you know a turnover special teams mistake you know some things like that you know those those things could open the door for nebraska to make this game interesting yeah it requires it requires quite a few
1: things like you said the turnovers, special teams errors, something like that. Like, I think it's – like, as much as we talk about the offense, sometimes great offenses take time to get going. Like, some sometimes thing you don't come out of the gate with an 80-yard touchdown to Jameson Williams, which would be amazing to see. And, like, I low-key think that that would – like, that's possible on the very first play of the game if Jameson Williams is a starter. Um, but I think that, you know, if you – you know, first three drives don't go as planned you get – six points out of it or something like that, all of a sudden Nebraska is right there in it. And, you know, you have to buckle down. And, and you do make the point, Ryan Day really has harped on a few things. Uh, he's harped on recently, you know, trying to not turn the ball over. We, and, and Ohio State did a really good job of that last year, uh, generally. And that's obviously going to be important this season. And then also, like, something he harped on last year has, is, is, you know, come up. At least a little bit recently, and it's just toughness, and it's just beating guys up at at, at the point of attack. Um, I think that he wants to see that early, and in a stadium where there's 1,600 people, uh, where everything is just so different, you have a different preparation, all that kind of stuff. Like things just get weird, and and you know we've seen weird things happen all around the country. So like I don't want to discount that that is a factor. Like unexplainable things, like just weirdness. Like it's 2020 college football has been been extremely weird thus far and like Ohio State hasn't played yet but who knows exactly exactly how
0: that's going to work out with them yeah I mean the other great equalizer in this whole thing is COVID-19 and the reality is we don't know right now I mean we we, we're not even going to know for sure on Friday we're we're going to think we know when we get the status report on Friday but there's the chance of the 24 hours between Friday morning and, and Saturday morning but somebody could test positive for COVID and then they just won't be there on Saturday. I mean, I've got to go into Saturday when the team comes out for warmups, I'm going to have to be looking and seeing is everybody here because there's the chance that guys just might end up not being there, you know, because they tested positive for COVID before the game. So, you know, that's the great equalizer too. I think we've kind of tried not to talk about that too much, but it, it is a reality that like, you know, there's that possibility that, you know if you lose uh some key players before the game you know that could certainly equalize things up and I think the one other thing too like you know you mentioned you know some things he's been harping on and I think we talked about it before about how you know you've you've been able to see the pivot in the last few weeks from like talking up how great this team is to to now getting really really into the weeds of coach speak I mean Tuesday's press conference of Ryan Day, if I'm going to be blunt, was one of the least interesting press conferences I've ever been at in my life because he just didn't say anything. It was it was very very coach speak uh, going into Game One, and you can you can see you know that that pivot back to you know talking about a team that has a chance to win a national championship to now it's just all focus on Nebraska going one and zero. But I think it's easier to say that as the head coach than it is for the players to actually believe that. And I I do think this is a team that's going to go into Saturday with really high expectations. And there's two ways that can go. I think the way it most likely goes is this team is going to come out extremely fired up because they've been waiting 10 months to play after that Clemson game. I think they're going to come out with a ton of energy, even without the fans there. And I think they're going to come out and play really well. And I wouldn't be surprised. If, you know, this is much like the season opener last year, where last State just explodes out of the gate and turns it into a blowout early. But I think if maybe you do struggle early, you know, maybe you do come in a little overconfident and you you, you get it yourself in a tough spot. I do I do wonder with this team, the expectations are so high that if this team runs into some unexpected adversity, how well is it going to handle it? Because we we just didn't see it last year, like until the Clemson game, like, you know, I, I guess we saw a little bit at Michigan, a little bit at Wisconsin, but like most of the season, we just didn't see this team like run into real adversity. And now the expectations are like a whole nother level higher, in my opinion. So It's just going to be interesting to see how this team responds. If it ends up in a spot like that, I really don't think we're going to see a team, them end up in a spot like that on Saturday, but you can't rule it out.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm of two minds with that because on one hand, like you, you, you look at last year and like, it's, even though Ohio state is is a talented team, a great team, every single year, like last year was an anomaly. Like typically you don't just go in and just beat down every single team that you play in the regular season, like night after night. It, it was unbelievable. I think uh, like at some point I wrote that they were on easy mode. And of course, eventually days later, Chase Young got suspended. So hand up, that one was on me, but it did feel like that they were on easy mode for, for the entire season. Um, and that's not really normally the case, but I say that. And at the same time, like I look at, what the talent Ohio State has on its roster? I look at the quarterback, and I and, you know you look at Penn State not having Micah Parsons and Journey Brown now potentially missing the season. Um, you look at Michigan with a first year starting quarterback who's like intriguing, but at the same time he's in his first year, and, and you have questions all across that roster. Like I just I struggle to see exactly who's going to stop them in the Big Ten, and like Nebraska's on Saturday, and I can't say that I'm holding my breath for for a tight one.
0: No, I'm not either, but I mean, this, I mean, Nebraska might be the third best team on the regular season <laughs> yeah, schedule. Yeah. I don't know oh, if they are, no, Dan, but, Dan, but they, might, Dan, they might be. They play
1: Indiana. Come on. You know, I'm
0: a, you're a big Indy. You're a big Indiana guy. I am this year. I don't know where this came from, but. You're, you're big on this Indiana track. I believe
1: I believe in their quarterback, and I believe in the fact that they got a lot of returning starters on both sides of the ball. So we
0: can, we can Vegas, talk about that Vegas a little seems, bit. But. Vegas seems to believe in them a little bit too because the, the line for Penn State, last I saw it, was only like six and a half or something. Right, so sure. they seem to believe that Indiana's going to give them a competitive game. Yeah,
1: and you know who else does?
0: This guy. You do. Mm-hmm. You do probably a more competitive. Well, speaking of Vegas, I said speaking of Vegas, I, I did want to you know mention the betting line being twenty six and a half right now. It started at twenty one and a half. That link was last Thursday that was released, and it's it, at one point it was at twenty seven. The last I checked on Tuesday night, it was twenty six and a half. And I know based on our score predictions, I think we're both kind of we're both kind of right around there. Uh, I'm going forty nine twenty four. So I'm going Ohio State slightly not covering. I think you have them barely covering right now.
1: I do. I, I think my prediction is forty nine twenty one, but like the whole caveat here is like that's what I think is gonna happen. And that's also like I don't really know that my confidence level is higher than a two out of ten given the fact that I just think weird things are going to happen in college football. And like, I have no idea who's going to be missing um, in Saturday's game. I would just not bet on college football this year. Um, but if we actually decide that, that you know, if I were to bet, like, I think, like, I don't know, 26 and a half as a line is, inc- that, that, that's completely reasonable to me. It's more reasonable than 21 and a half because I, when, when 21 and a half came out I felt pretty confident that, that Ohio State would win by at least that that margin. Twenty six and a half, you know, something something goes wrong with the defense. Maybe they hit a big play. Maybe, you know, a drive stalls on offense. I don't know. I can see them I can see Ohio State not covering that, but I don't know. I clearly picked them to cover anyway. So I guess that that's where my head's at with this with this one.
0: I mean the fact fit. That- I have been winning by 25 and you have been winning by 28 would suggest that if we have any idea what we're talking about, that 26 and a half is perfect. Yeah, no,
1: exactly right. That's, that's honestly a perfect way to put it.
0: Yeah. So I I mean, I think the line's just right. I agree with you, Colin on, I wouldn't bet it. Um, You know, I, I do bet on some college football, but I would not bet on this. I, I just think, uh I, I just don't I think especially you go into a season we haven't seen either of these teams play, you you just don't know what you're gonna get. So I, I wouldn't feel good about betting on that either way if I you know, even though I have Ohio State winning by twenty five, if I was forced to bet I still might take Ohio State covering just because I think I think it's slightly more likely that Ohio State just turns this into an absolute route than nebraska keeping it close but i wouldn't touch it i do like the over though i like the over for this game uh it, it was 65 it, last i checked it was now up to sixty seven and a half. but i like the over because i think ohio state's gonna score a lot of points but i think nebraska's gonna score some points too yeah, if you're betting the
1: over, you're essentially saying I don't really exactly believe that this Buckeyes defense is going to hold Nebraska every single time. I think if you really, if, if you're someone who like thinks that me and Dan are crazy because we have to, questions about this defense, <laughs> then you might want to bet the under. Um, but I think both of us, like, if if you believe that Nebraska is going to score at least a couple times, um, and maybe not make it competitive, but at least at least get some points on the board but I think the over is reasonable. But again, Dan, like if, if Vegas nailed the the spread and then all of a sudden you feel confident about the over here, I'm just saying, I, 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 I'm starting to feel comfortable about, about the under (laughs) solely because you're confident. I mean, we saw,
0: (laughs) I mean, we saw how well my Georgia pick went last week. So, you know, uh, I will I will preface it this because I I I want it, I want us to talk about this every week because I think it's fun. So I will preface by saying this: if you take betting advice from me, you are taking it at your own risk. I I waive all liability for the money that you lose if you take my betting advice because I'm I'm not a gambling expert. If you saw my betting records, you would see that I am not a betting expert. So. Take your advice from me at your own risk. Sixty-seven and a half is a pretty high over under. So uh, there's definitely some risk there. I just think it's going to be a high scoring game. I do. I think both teams are going to score some points. And I mean, there's, there's different ways that can go. I mean, that could be, you know, Ohio State's defense struggling, or it could be Ohio State turning it into a blowout early and then putting the backups in for the second half and just letting off the gas because I mean, you're you're talking about if if this game becomes a blow and you've got the second team in there in the second half. I mean, you're going to have a lot of guys who have never played before seeing their first action in a Big Ten game against, you know, I I don't think a bottom feeder Big Ten team. I mean, it's not Penn State, but it's also not Rutgers. So I think Nebraska is going to score some points, but. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I'm sure there will be people ready to tell us we were wrong if the defense looks amazing on Saturday. I'm effect.
1: gonna, I'm gonna fade Dan Hope this season, so I'm gonna go with the under there.
0: <laughs> yeah, see if it works as well as Slay Travis exactly,
1: did. Exactly. Exactly. So we should, we should talk about three things we think. And Dan, I don't, I think that you had some written down, and then I said my three things that I think are just gonna be guys that I'm really excited to actually get a seed. Um, with my own two eyes, after waiting ten months on Saturday, but I want you to start. Do you have any
0: theme or do you just all over the board? Mine are all over the board, and mine are not specific to the Nebraska game or anything. They're just three things that I've been thinking about. Uh, number one, I kind of already hit on it. I was going to say I think I'm an idiot for betting on Georgia to win because if I make a wrong prediction on this show, I'm going to be accountable for it uh, and criticize myself for next week. So I did want to say that. And I also want to say that if I was a Georgia fan right now, I it would be really hard to have to watch Justin Fields play for Ohio State because it was pretty clear on Saturday that Georgia missed Justin Fields. I think uh, the difference between Justin Fields and Stetson Bennett, I think would have been the difference between Georgia winning and losing that game. So, you know, I, as I was watching that game, I just kept thinking back of that and, uh, it was not an original thought because every time I thought about tweeting something about it, like or people would beat me to a punch and then I just gave up on it. But, yeah, that was the biggest thing I was thinking when I was watching that game on Saturday is, man, if this Georgia team had Justin Fields, this could be a really, really good football team. But without Justin Fields and with what they have right now and Stetson Bennett, not quite good enough to beat a team like Alabama.
1: I'm not so sure that there's anything in the world that Ohio state fans like doing right now. That's not related to their Buckeyes more than, you know, needling Georgia fans that Ohio
0: state has Justin fields and they don't. It's a nice, it's a good thing to have. If you're an Ohio state fan. It is, it is is certainly not bad. So my first
1: thing that, that I, I guess I've been thinking about, but it's more so guys that I'm excited to see. Um, I'll, I'll start with Nicholas petit um, because he's someone who I think that last year, I don't remember exactly our thought process, but I think that both of us gave him a good shot to to win that right tackle job and beat up Brandon Bowen. And obviously, that didn't happen. Um, and I think that, you know, as we've heard this offseason more and more, I think his body, his body, his weight probably wasn't in 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 the area that Ohio State wanted it to be at that time. Um now that he's entering his redshirt sophomore season, his third year, it, to me, it, I, I don't want to say it was do or die because that, that feels way too strong, but it was, as, it, to me, it was a sense that if Nicholas petit Frere is the guy who you, who you think he was when he was the number one offensive line recruit in the country in 2018, like, he has to win this job. He has to beat out Paris Johnson. He has to beat out Dewan Jones. And I think, you know, things got weird in the offseason. Who knows if, if things would be a, a different at all if if they went through a normal off season with going through spring practices and and and, and summer workouts like they usually do. But it feels pretty clear cut that Nicholas Petit Frere is that right tackle. Um, and I think a lot of people probably aren't gonna have their eyes on right tackle during the game. And I'll be honest, like I'm probably not just gonna be eyeing Nicholas Petit Frere the entire game. But definitely on a rewatch of that game, I'm going to be fascinated to see what he does. And it's not like Nebraska is bringing Chase Young off the edge. But, you know, to see a guy like that who, who has worked so hard to get his body in the right place and, and to finally get this opportunity that he that he has in front of him,
0: I'm fascinated to see what he does with it. Yeah, and you get the impression that the way the coaches are talking about him, it's just different than they were talking about him the way a year ago. Like – I think you could kind of tell just from talking to people last year that they could see the potential in Nicholas Petit Frere, but he just he just wasn't quite there yet. He he just wasn't quite there. And I, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he did have to transform his body. He came in light, you know, he had to eat a lot. He had to get up to, you know, the weight that he needs to be at. And I think now that he's been at Ohio State, you know, going into his third year now. You know, he's got his diet right. He's been working with Mickey Mirati. He's got that strength. I, you get the sense now that he's he's become that player that they've been waiting for him to become. And that's why he pulled away in this right tackle competition. And so I think there's reason to be confident in what we're going to see from Nicholas Petit-Fair. You know, the good news is in four days, we finally get to see it. We don't have to uh, try to read off of what coaches are saying anymore. We actually get to see it. But, you know, I, I think – I mean, just that offensive line in general, talking to Greg Stradrawa on Tuesday, you can tell there's a lot of confidence in that group. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh Nicholas Petit Frere as well as Harry Miller stepping in at left guard.
1: Can I throw out one more name? And and he's not one of my three guys, but since you mentioned I feel like I sh- like he maybe should be one of my three, but I but I feel like, you know, maybe we can talk about it for a sec. I thought it was interesting what, what Greg Stradrawa said about Thayer Munford. Um on on, I think it was Tuesday. Get my get getting my days mixed up, Dan. Since that time of year again. Um, you know the way that he talked about it. You know, you hear people every offseason talking about you know this guy's in the best shape of his life, whatnot. I think that beyond him just saying that, like he was pretty forthright in saying that there wasn't the guy that that they needed him to be last year. And and I think. If he's being transparent, if that if if that is really the case, and and they know that and they address that, and he got a full off season, I'm interested to see what he can be because there were points last year where I really thought he was the weak point of the line, and at the same time, it like this to me, it was like this is Thayer Munford, this is a guy who I really believe in, who I think is a really good left tackle when he's healthy, and to me, a lot of it was that I just felt like he just wasn't himself for for health related reasons, for not just for on on the field play reasons, so. You no, know, he's not one of my three guys who I wrote down before before we did this, but like that that caught my ear when 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 Stud was talking about him. Yeah,
0: I agree with you there because I think he, he's an interesting guy because we talk about the offensive line and you know like even when I was writing about the offensive line on Tuesday, like you can say Wyatt Davis is the best guard in the country. I personally think Josh Myers is going to be the best center in the country. I'm never quite sure exactly what to say about Thayer Munford because I I do believe. When we've seen him at his best, we've seen a player that can be one of the best tackles in the country. But I don't think we really ever saw him at his best last year. And I think for this offensive line to truly be this best in the nation offensive line we think it has the potential to be, I think he's got to get to his best. He's got to stay healthy. He's got to be more consistent than what we saw from him last year. So I agree with you. He's definitely a guy that that I'm interested to watch. Interested to watch because I, I'm thinking I, I could be completely wrong about this, but I'm thinking Nebraska might have been a game last year that he did not do very well in, and and he was upset about after. So I'll be interested to see how he plays for sure. What's your second thing? Second thing is going back to that Alabama Georgia game. I think Ohio State secondary better be really good if the Buckeyes are going to win a national championship because watching Alabama's offense and watching Clemson's offense. Those are two offenses that are just going to score a lot of points every week. And if 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 you you know you just watch, you know, obviously the quarterbacks, you know, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, and those receivers at Alabama are fantastic, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. And you know, we're starting to see Mac Jones, you know, really come into his own as a quarterback. I heard Joel Klatt comparing him to Joe Burrow earlier. Uh, not necessarily as a future number one overall pick, but as a guy who's you're kind of emerging as that Heisman contender right now, the way he's playing. So, I think you just watch those two teams' offenses. Ohio State secondary has really got to step up here, and and that again, that's the position I have the biggest question marks about. And and I really, I really do. I, it's my my biggest question mark going into the season, probably of anything, is is, is Ohio State secondary going to be good enough for the Buckeyes? to beat a Clemson or Alabama and win a national championship. I genuinely don't know.
1: Yeah, I I'm, I think anyone who's saying that they know, I think is just fooling themselves right now. And, and I'll say this too, like Ryan Day was talking on Tuesday um, about, you know, who has stood out. And I think it was interesting that he mentioned linebackers were the best unit on the team right now, in his opinion, or not on the team, defense. on the defense specifically um, because you know there are a few ways to read that and I'm honestly not sure how I'm reading it like on one hand like that's something that we've sort of said throughout the offseason and and you know we weren't 100% sure but if you look at the depth they have there the versatility all the different groups that they can play like there's a lot to like about those guys like seven upperclassmen at linebacker where you can play three guys at once and four max at, at you know against the Wisconsin's of the world. Like that's sort of crazy. At the same time, like we're talking about Pete Warner, tough world and Baron Browning, Justin Hilliard and three juniors. who we haven't seen play a lot. Like it, I'll be honest. Like it doesn't strike a lot of confidence in me knowing that that's the best unit on the defense to start the season. And, And maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this and maybe this is just like, obviously coaches like veterans. Like it's easy, it's easy in practice for the coach to fall in love with the veterans who do, who just do everything right. Like Ryan Day mentioned, like they're professionals; they go about their business like professionals. My one, my one caveat to this is like when I think of best position group, I think of guys who can be playmakers, um, the Chase Youngs of the world, the the Damon ornets the 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 Jeff Okudas, guys who are dominant, guys who can who can change games. I'm just not sure that those linebackers are going to be game changers. And if you had and if and if the best position group on the team is a position group where you don't really have any game changers, I wonder what that says about the secondary and the defensive line and, and where those are. Dan, am I am I off on that? Is that a is that a misread? What what do you think about that?
0: I mean, this is just the truth. If Tuff Borland's one of Ohio State's best defensive players, they're probably in trouble. And that's yeah. not a knock on Tough, but it's just the reality that Tuff's not that game changing playmaker like you talked about. Now, I, I think Pete Werner has the potential to be that to some extent. You know I agree with that. I think Baron <laughs> Browning has the potential to be that. He, we haven't seen it yet, but I think he's still a guy that has the potential to be that. And the way they're the way they're talking about him makes me think maybe I I I don't I'm not sold on it, but maybe they finally figured something out with him that is maybe gonna unleash him into the player we've been expecting him to be for years. So I do think, you know, that's the optimistic view of it. But, you know, glass half-empty point of view, cynical point of view, does make me think there's there's probably reason to be concerned about the defensive front and the defensive backfield. And, you know, they're, they're just they're just inexperienced. That's just the truth. And I, I think, you know, certainly, you know, you got some down-to-players the there. I mean, you got Sean Wade back. You know, you've got guys like Zach Harrison and Tommy Togiai and Seven Banks, who I think have a ton of upside. But, I mean, really, you know, you, you've got one guy in those two units, in Sean Wade, who's really like a proven star. I mean, you've got a Jonathan Cooper who's played a lot, but still, I mean, he's a guy we're going into this season and we're expecting to see a leap from, but he's got to make that leap. To really be a guy who can lead that defensive front, so there's just a lot of guys there that they they need more out of, and we'll see if we see it.
1: We will. My so my second thing that I've been thinking about, or second player I'm excited to see. <laughs> after talking about that on a negative note, I feel like we need a positive here. Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson in the slot has fascinated me ever since that we. We saw him that very first practice way back in early March. And I did wonder in the, you know, in the off season when they couldn't practice the way they wanted to, or, or, you know, they couldn't get their spring practice in. I did wonder whether they would move it back outside. That hasn't happened. I think that he's going to get some outside receiver snaps, but I think, you know, in large part, he's going to be a slot receiver. And that I am just so intrigued by because I think that he's going to lead them in catches, I think that he provides them with, with some dynamic play in that slot that they didn't really necessarily have last year. You know, they had KJ Hill who was really good at what he did, and that was getting open and that was you know catching passes and being sure-handed and, and running good routes. I think Garrett Wilson can do a lot of that, but also he has a, you know an extension to his game that you know he's not Paris Campbell. He's not going to run a four-two but he is more explosive and, and he can go down the field and, and, and make catches that KJ Hill couldn't. So I think that that's part of the offense that I am just fascinated to see actually play because what did we get? We only got one practice worth of watching them way back in the, in the spring, but man, like he just looked like a natural in the slot and I, and I never really would have pegged him for that before we actually got to see um, and there and, and and before you know Ryan Day and Brian Hartline sort of explained why he's there makes a lot of sense to me and and I I'm excited to see what it actually looks like
0: yeah I I am too because like you said I think he is very different than the other guys we've seen play in the slot in recent years and I think that's not a bad thing <laughs> I think it could be a very good thing I think he's got You know, a different level of downfield playmaking ability, a a different level of, you know, you know, in terms of a you know a KJ Hill comparison explosiveness. You know, they've had guys like Paris Campbell that have been explosive, but Garris has got a different skill set, especially as a downfield receiver. I think that's the big thing. Is you know, this is a guy he's in the slot, but he, he can make you know big plays way down the field, and you know he's got that contested catch ability that we've seen. So I'm really intrigued. To, to see that you know and i'm intrigued to see how they use him too you know you mentioned like him getting some snaps outside i'm i'm intrigued to see how they do that like when they go to their two tight end sets will he move back outside in those packages i was thinking about it earlier because we think so much about like what the starting lineup at receiver is going to look like it would be very appropriate if they come out in a two tight end set with chris olave and garrett wilson at wide receiver so uh at least for the first play of a game we can't uh make a conclusion about who the third starting wide receiver is yet.
1: That oh, would that would be extremely Ohio State. That that really would. What is your third thing that you've been thinking about this week?
0: I I I thought about it earlier and I don't I don't want it to come off the wrong way, but I just I just gotta be honest about it. I don't know why Greg Madison is being paid $1.133 million. And the reason for that is because we haven't talked to him since last year. We were supposed to talk to him on Tuesday, but apparently he lost his voice, which I have no reason to believe that that's not true. But there's still the fact that this guy is the co-defensive coordinator, and we haven't talked to him since last year. He was already going to be the last assistant coach to talk this year on a game week and we haven't had a chance to talk to him and I think he's a good coach I mean I think we saw the defense have a lot of success last year I think he's still probably someone who's playing an integral role behind the scenes but this is a guy who doesn't have a position group to himself he does some stuff with full linebackers but he's not the primary linebackers coach he's not going to be the lead play caller because they brought in Kerry Combs to do that we don't really hear much about him on the recruiting trail, so i just I just don't know exactly what his role is, and I feel like for one point one three three million dollars, we should probably know what his role is.
1: I'm I'm right there with you. I know that he coaches the Sam's, yeah, uh, with 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 Al Washington. Like that's the one thing he and Pete Warner did very well in
0: um, that role last year. So I give he, him credit for did, that. He did. You
1: know, there's one part of of this defense that I think, like if I see it, I'll attribute it to Greg Madison because it's something that we heard we heard at least last year a lot a lot of talk about you know what he was doing, and that was just the fundamentals running to the ball. If they run to the ball, probably because Greg Madison has, has made that a priority. You know, if they, if they are fundamentally sound, they're disciplined. Like, I think these are Greg Madison things. Like, he is an old-school football dude. That is what he is. Um, so, if you see some of those old-school football tendencies on this defense, and, and you saw them last year, like, I think those are, that's, that, is, that is an imprint that Greg Madison makes on a defense. If you don't see those, then, yeah, I'm like, what, what have you been doing? Um, because you coach one position grouping, they hired Kerry Collins to be to be the defensive coordinator. So, I'm I'm sort of right there with you. Um, I am fascinated to see what he does. Because listen, it's one thing to make you know veterans and and make eight NFL players who are now gone run to the ball and and be fundamentally sound. It's different when you have a ton of new starters in there, and that's what they have this year. So I think it's challenging for him. It would be great to actually get a chance to talk to him, ask him some questions. <laughs> Like you said, um, but you know, if they are that fundamentally sound defense, I will I will chalk that up to Greg Madison. If they're not, you know, that, I think those are questions that that fall
0: on him. And I, I think they are okay with us not knowing what what he does, and they probably doesn't care too much <laughs> about okay. my yes. my opinion on you know his salary or any of that. And again, I'm I'm not saying he's not a good coach. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve that salary. I am saying that I hope when he gets his voice back that we will get to talk to him because I have had questions that I've wanted to ask him since the spring. And, you know, we would have gotten him in the spring if it wasn't for this weird year. So it's some of that's just the reality of his weird year. There's, there's other guys, you know, players we haven't talked to that we would have normally talked to by now just because of circumstances. But it, it just strikes me as a little funny that, you know, a guy who's got a coordinator in his title still hasn't talked to the media in 10 months.
1: He would love to work for Nick Saban down there where – his assistants don't really
0: talk. About. Yeah, Clemson's kind of like that, too. But the coordinators talk, but all the other assistants only talk like once a year.
1: So my third guy, who I'm excited to see, third thing I've been thinking about, I sort of want to cheat and give two players here. Dan, can you even guess the addition? I bet you can.
0: Marcus Hooker and Josh Proctor.
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs> because they are so linked in my mind right now. Um, of, of how Ohio State's going to use them. But yeah, I'll just say one. I'll say Marcus Hooker because I feel like, you know, we got some glimpses of, of what Josh Proctor can do. Like we saw at the end of Wisconsin, the hit that he laid on Jack Cohn. Like I was standing right beside him when that happened. <laughs> I had no idea why Jack Cohn decided to, to do that, but shout out to him. He seems he, he was okay after that. Um, Marcus Hooker, I just feel like I don't know a ton about him. Like I I, I know what you know, I know what Matt Barnes has said about him. I know what he's said about his own game. I know what Ryan Day said about him. I don't feel like I I, I know what he looks like on the field and, and how he plays back there at deep safety. So I think that, you know, him against Adrian Martinez, I think that that's going to be a fascinating matchup for me just because, like, to me, it's not really a first impression because he's in his third year, but it's almost a first impression because I feel like he's going to be the starting deep safety, and I haven't really ever seen him in that role.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm extremely fascinated by that position because we still don't know for sure who the starter is going to be. I'm. I'm with you at this point that I'm leaning toward Hooker being the starter. Even though a couple weeks ago when I did a depth chart projection, I had Proctor as the starter. It could be a rotation too. I mean, it could be one guy's out there one series, one out the next, and they kind of see how it plays out. You know, over the course of that first game or however long it takes for someone to separate themselves, but. Yeah, I think that's one of the most fascinating positions on the team. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because, like, you know, one of the things I had written down, like, on our show sheet, and we didn't get to it because we wanted to keep things moving along, but you just kind of the, – the depth chart and the starting lineup, like, I feel like in pretty much every other position, I, I've got a pretty good idea of who's going to be the starter at this point. Like, there, there's a few positions where I could be surprised, but, like, in general, I think I have a pretty good idea of like who's gonna start who's gonna play at each position but that's still the one that I know those two guys are at the top of a depth chart but I don't know who's gonna start and I don't know how the snaps are gonna be split between them
1: yeah it's it's weird and and you know that's something that we might have a better idea of in a normal year if we were able to actually watch some practices but but we're just flying blind into this which is the case with a lot of
0: it unfortunately the blinders will come off on saturday and we will get to see who the starting safety is and how they're going to manage those safeties first first time and then they might do something completely different the next week against penn state but we'll at least get to see one game's worth of evidence of how the defense is going to look got a few reader questions to get to before we wrap up this week's show first question comes from weave 77 and he asks. Does the fact that neither C.J. Stroud nor Jack Miller have yet lost their black stripe indicate to you that Gunnar Hoke will start the season as QB2? I will answer this first because I've thought about this and I've theorized it to Colin off air, so he knows what I'm going to say. And I don't think it indicates that. I think the only thing it indicates is that those two guys, they – if one of those guys has earned having their black stripes removed and one of them hasn't, they are not going to take the black stripe off of one of those guys before the other guy, before the season, and give us reason to speculate that that means that guy's ahead of the other guy on the quarterback depth chart. So I anticipate that both of their black stripes will be removed on the exact same day, whether that's the way it should have gone or not. I just anticipate that's what they're going to do. I, you know, it could happen on Thursday or Friday. Maybe they wait until after the first game to do it, but I don't read into it in terms of a quarterback competition because I I think, you know, QB two has got to be whoever the the best, the best guy is. And, you know, there's a chance that guy's Gunnar Hoke, but my feeling is still that it's going to be CJ Stroud or Jack Miller. I would bet on CJ Stroud, but it could be Jack Miller, but I don't, That's one position where I just don't read into the black stripe at all because I just don't think they were going to do that in a way that would give anything away in regards to what their quarterback depth chart could be.
1: Yeah, they will be as secretive as possible there. I don't have a ton to add, but I will say thank you for asking the same question because we've 77 asked this when I asked for mailbag questions and I got like 30 of them. So I didn't, I didn't get a chance to use
0: his. So I'm glad we are using it now. I'm glad we could too. Ginnon Juice asks us two questions. The first question is, I believe his usual question: score offensive and defensive MVP and one bold prediction. We already did our scores. So offensive and defensive MVP. I mean, shoot, it's just hard to pick against Justin Fields for an offensive. MVP of a game especially first game of a season where we know he wants to find a way to get into this Heisman Trophy race and I believe he's got a lot of ground to make up if he's going to get into that Heisman Trophy race so yeah I'm expecting Justin Fields to go off on Saturday
1: yeah I don't know how I'm supposed to pick anybody other than Justin Fields so who'd your defensive MVP
0: prediction be you're
1: gonna be shocked to to find this out but Pete Warner. I think he's gonna force either a force a
0: fumble, get an interception, he's gonna create a turnover. I'm gonna go Sean Wade. I'm gonna go Sean Wade. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Sean Wade forces a turnover in the first game of the season.
1: That is that is fair. And you know, I actually I, I don't know how many interceptions that you know he's going to get just because I'm interested to see. How many times seems you're actually yeah. going to throw against him when the entire rest of the secondary is new? I
0: probably wouldn't throw it in very often. No, I would not. What's your bold prediction, juice? I feel like I feel like I just gave one a bold bold prediction. Yeah, <laughs> uh yeah, I know. I should have thought about this one, this one more.
1: I will I'll go with Jameson. Jameson Williams breaks off a sixty. I was year literally election. just about
0: to say that, so thanks. For uh, oh, gosh, thanks for stealing um, that one from me. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna go with what I said. Sean Sean Wade's gonna force a turnover because that's that's a pretty specific prediction, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, here's uh, the issue with this one is that like there's not much that you can say that's a bold prediction about this team because I feel like the entire last ten months has been. Just everybody giving predictions about this team. <laughs> so, like, what's bold anymore? <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, I feel like Marcus Hooker starting at safety is still kind of a bold prediction to some people because Josh Proctor's gotten so much hype.
1: Yeah, but I think that I think that Marcus Hooker starting at safety will be a bold prediction to people who haven't paid attention to coverage. Right, season. that's what I. That's <laughs> I think, what I meant. I think there will. Yeah, there will be people who turn on the TV, see a Hooker back there at safety, be like, Malik, did I turn on the right game, or is this? a replay of the game from years ago
0: yeah people who listen to our podcast probably won't be surprised but people who just turn on the game and are casual fans might be surprised
1: dr yeah dr spaceman asked with covid disrupting the season how how, com- how confident are you that ohio state plays eight games this season or in other words how many games do you think the buckeyes will play we
0: skipped over getting juice's last question we're supposed to give him our best oh let's go <laughs>
1: Okay. I, I actually didn't realize that um, my issue is I'm in a hotel right now. I think if I were to actually do that, that would probably um, be an yeah,
0: issue. Mine was probably louder than it should have been considering right now it's twelve fifty-three on the East Coast as we're recording right now because uh, it's been kind of one of those days. But uh, If,
1: if Gen, yeah, if Gen and Jude's asked next week to do that, um, I promise if you ask again,
0: I feel like yours space. is just more of a lego yeah i'm i I just can't yell right now. I don't want to get kicked out of a hotel <laughs> anyways, to get back to Dr. Spaceman's question, how confident are you that Ohio State plays eight games this season? I mean that's such a tough question to answer because I just like I want to be confident that Ohio State is going to play all eight games this season i don't I don't want to go into this season with a mindset of they're not going to be able to play all the games but I'm not a hundred percent confident in that because the reality is we're flying blind into this, this it's so new. And but the biggest thing for me that I don't know that I have a grasp on is just how likely it is that teams are going to hit those thresholds that are going to lead to cancellations. Cause we haven't heard about anything yet, but we also haven't seen any games yet. I mean, even Ryan day talked about it when he, you know, it, All indications are Ohio state hasn't had any significant issues with COVID in the preseason, but it would be premature right now to say that it's been a success because they haven't played any games yet. So I like it. I think Ohio state is going to play all of its games. That would be my prediction. I'm not going to predict that Ohio state won't play all its games, but it's hard to say I'm, Confident in that because of because of two things. I mean, one, there there really is no wiggle room in the schedule, so I don't know how if a game gets postponed, it w- it would be rescheduled. And and secondly, I just don't know how likely it is that teams are going to hit these thresholds.
1: Yeah, I think that there's no degree of confidence that I have that's greater than like one percent. <laughs> like I don't know how you can enter this with any confidence, but whatever confidence I do have stems from the fact that I think that the rapid testing um, will prevent spread within a team. I think that that's really important. So I think that, you know, the thresholds of 5% of all players on the team and 7% of all tier one personnel, including all coaches, staffers, everybody involved on a day-to-day basis with the team. Like I think those thresholds are pretty low, but I think that you'd have to hit them by individuals testing positive, not individuals testing positive and then infecting other players on the team. So I think that that's a key thing to note, which is like that's an area that I think that the Big Ten has an advantage on over other conferences. But am I confident that they're going to play eight? No. I guess that I, I would pick that they would play all eight regular season games. But like
0: crazy things have happened this year. I don't know how I could possibly be confident. Silver Sniper asked two questions. First question was, it's Ferdinand Long who is in at running back. That's a great question, but I don't know the answer to. My inclination, just based on what we've seen when Ohio State has had two running backs in the past, that it's just going to depend on whoever's in on that series. Because in the past, we haven't seen a whole lot of selectively putting running backs in the game based on situation. I think if Ohio State's going to do that, then I think there's – there's two answers that I think would be most correct. I think number one would be Trey Sermon because I I think Trey Sermon offers more as a pass catcher than Master Teague does, at least based on what I have seen from their two games so far. The wild card answer would be DeMario McCall. If you're going to finally find a role for DeMario McCall, and I think that's the role that it would most likely be, would be that third and long passing situation guy who can catch passes out of a backfield I don't have confidence in that because I thought that role was going to come for years and it's it's only been seen very rarely but they have done it a few times so I'm guessing it's it's gonna either be Sermon or just whichever running back has been in the game on that series but that's the wild card option
1: yep Trey Sermon makes more sense to me um, and then I wrote that in the mailbag, actually. But I think that he makes more, most sense as the third down running back, if
0: that's, you know, a thing. <laughs> Silver Sniper also asked, have you seen Juice Man, that being Jameson Williams's high school film, and why on earth is he not the return man for Ohio State? First of all, I have seen his high school film. It is very impressive, and there are a lot of very impressive returns on there. And secondly, do we know that he isn't? I mean. I think I've kind of assumed that Demario McCall would have that role because he had it last year, but that's also a role where they could really use a spark that they haven't had. And, and when I think of who's a guy who could provide a spark in that role, potentially Jamison Williams is right at the top of that list for me because of his speed. And, and we really don't know who the starting returners are right now. So I don't know if he will be or not, but I do think it's something that Ohio state should be considering.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the thing, Dan, you know why he asked that about, about the juice man's high school film. Why? Because I put that in the mailbag. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I embedded the high school film into the mailbag. So yes, Silver Sniper, I have seen his film and yes, it is incredible. Um, I think that one thing I would also mention about, you know, returners is, you know, catching the ball is important and I have no idea where he is in that track. Um, so, you know, that's, that, that's the part of it that I don't know. Yeah, when he has the ball in his hands, he's legitimately incredible. He's breathtaking. Um, the other aspect of it is the part that,
0: you know, it's just hard to know. Final question is another COVID-related question. Hypothetically, Always hypothetically speaking, if two teams have outbreaks causing two different games to be canceled on the same week, does the Big Ten have a plan in place to possibly allow the two non-affected teams to play each other instead of their originally intended opponent? That question comes from Tay Sterling. The simple answer is I have no idea because the Big Ten has not publicly said anything about how they will handle that situation, and they're probably not going to until and if the situation arises. So will that happen? I don't know. I would say, well, though, that- I think they should be prepared for that possibility. You know, again, how likely is that possibility to happen? I have no idea. But I I think they should be prepared because of the fact that you don't have wiggle room in this schedule. And certainly, you know, every team that's playing is going to want to be able to play as many games as possible. The problem is a COVID outbreak can happen on any day of a week. So if you're going to do that, I mean, if you're talking about a, a COVID outbreak happening on a Thursday to cancel a Saturday game, there, there's not going to be any way to, to rework that to schedule a game for that Saturday. So I think that's the biggest problem there. You know, I, I think the Big Ten has to be open to everything if they want to have the best possible ability to, you know, have all these teams play nine games in nine weeks. But whether that would actually be realistic, I have no idea.
1: Yeah, it's just hard to know, and like, you know, if it a lot of it depends on you know how early in the week that that happens too. I think, right? Um, if you know two teams by Sunday, by like, or by Monday, no, like then I think that that's entirely reasonable. If it's Wednesday or Thursday, I doubt that that's possible. Um, but also, you know, the B, the Big Ten hasn't been a beacon of communication <laughs> this year, so we just don't know we just, we still don't. Yeah. I mean,
0: how long did it take to finally get an answer on how long coaches would be out?
1: Uh, how long did it take? Um, multiple emails. And I still never got a, um, a, a complete answer, even though I was told that, that I would get one. So, you know, now, now that Jeff Brom has, has COVID-19 people are, you know, responding to that kind of, that kind of stuff. But, but a lot of this is just, if it happens, they'll respond to it. And, you know, it's hard to know exactly what their policies are or what they would do in certain situations or, or play the F game with, with the Big Ten.
0: To provide the answer there, the answer now is that it would be 10 days that a coach would have to miss. Yes. Uh, if they test positive for COVID-19 and then are, are asymptomatic after 10 days, uh, they were symptomatic, they could miss more time. But if they're asymptomatic, it would only be 10 days. Uh, but 21 days for players is, is because of the cardiac issues uh, and wanting to make sure of it. Uh, you know, players are are all clear on that front. So uh, we do have that answer. But yeah, I think the the way the Big Ten tends to handle these things is they don't say anything until they absolutely have to. So I I think the Big Ten right now is kind of in a uh, hope and pray and hold its breath that every game is able to be played. And then if a game isn't able to be played, uh, that's when we'll find out what's going to happen next. So let's hope we don't get to that point. Uh, let's hope that next week we're not talking about anything COVID related and that we're just talking about uh, finally getting to watch our first Ohio state football game of the year against Nebraska and gearing up for an, a really, really big game the following week against Penn state and primetime. So uh, thanks again for listening to real pod Wednesdays uh, for hanging in there for all those off season episodes. Uh, I hope all the audio and everything was good tonight. We had, we were running into some technical difficulties before we recorded this. So, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, the audio is all good and, and no issues on that end. But we got football to talk about. we got football to watch on Saturday, and we will be back next week to break it all down for you. So thanks so much for listening in, and we'll talk to you next week.